Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 3, Term 2. This is Lesson 2. We are going to pick up where we left off. Um, we were just getting to John chapter 4 and verse 21. In fact, I believe we were there, weren't we? Yeah, we were. We were already there. Okay. Uh, we were looking at a quote from the Spirit-filled Bible. Uh, again, I said I would deal with this when we come back, so let's go back over this. Um, it says your true worship is not mere form and ceremony, but spiritual reality, which is in harmony with the nature of God, who is spirit. So that's the reason why it needs to be in spirit, because He is spirit. Amen? So it can't be a fleshly thing. Did you get that? There's a revelation there for you. Okay, so when things become too fleshly, too outward, we're missing the Spirit. And we are meant to be worshipping Him in Spirit. And we're going to see that in just a minute, okay? Alright. And so, that's the true nature of God. And so we need to be in harmony with that. Second thing, worship must also be in truth. That is, transparent, sincere, and according to biblical mandates. Okay, what the Bible says. Now, transparency means that we need to learn how to be open with God. As when you are in worship, one of the things that will happen is God will confront you with things. Do you know why? Not because He wants to be a party pooper. Because those are the things that are getting in the way of Him blessing you. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's only as we, we clear the way, because the problem isn't on His side, it's on our side. Amen? So He's got to get us to clear the way in order for Him to be able to help us in the way that He wants to, without reservation. Amen? And so, if we are not, you know, if we deny and if we... We like to justify ourselves. We don't, we, don't wanna, we don't want to take blame for anything, really. We had a reason for doing everything that we do. You're not that perfect. Okay, let me just say this. The best place to be is if God says something, go, oh, sorry God, I didn't realize. Oh, I did, I did not mean to do that, and please forgive me. Well, that was really quick, wasn't it? No arguments, nothing. Now God can bless you. Absolutely. And as soon as you go, yeah, but uh, now we have a problem. Now we're going to spend 20 minutes arguing, and 5 minutes on the answer, instead of just getting to it straight away. <laughs> okay, alright, so understand something, you, you are doing yourself a disservice when you start to argue. Don't argue. Just say yes God and move on. Amen? And then you'll see things, you, you'll be surprised at some of the things that we do that we don't even realize that we do. We think we're doing the right thing. And it was done with a sincere heart, but it was a wrong thing. We were sincere, but sincerely wrong. Amen? Okay, alright. So, in truth, okay, so that's transparency, sincerity, and according to biblical mandates. You know, we, we need to worship God according to what, how the Bible tells us to worship God. Not according to our ideas, okay, or traditions, which make the Word of God of no effect. Do you understand? Sometimes they say, well, you have to have this cloth and walk in this way and swing this thing that makes you cough and choke all over the place. And <laughs> I'm speaking from experience. You know? And this is all meant to be worship. And this is like, you know, you, your eyeballs are tearing and you're, hello. And you're thinking, and, and you have to do it right. And you better not spill it on the carpet because the carpet will catch on fire. You know, <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about? Okay, if you've never been to an Anglican church, don't worry. Okay, so, <laughs> you know, we went there to start with. But again, see, th those are all things and you had to do them all really well. 
And don't trip on your dress. Because you've got to put this really long thing and you're tripping on it after. Seriously, I was tripping on it. You know, and I was... <laughs> anyway, and, and so it, all of this... How can you worship God when you're trying to keep, you know, from tripping, falling and dropping all this stuff on the, and setting the church on fire? <laughs> you know, okay? So, again, that wasn't what God asked. That's what man came up with. So while we think that this is worship, it really isn't. Because it's your heart that God is looking at. Not how well you swing things. Amen? <laughs> okay, and other things like of that nature. Alright, so then Jesus continues on in verse, uh, John chapter 4, verse 22. I hope you don't mind me taking some time with this, because this, this truly is important. Okay, if Jesus comes before we get to the end, it doesn't matter. We'll know a lot of good stuff when we're going up. Okay? <laughs> if He doesn't, well, praise God, we'll finish this and actually be able to do a whole lot of stuff with it. Okay, so... <laughs> verse 22. He says... Now, Jesus is going to sound a little bit harsh here, but when I explain it out, okay, you, you realize He's not so harsh. So He says here, You worship what you do not know. Now, it sounds a little harsh, okay? Now, mostly, what he's saying is mostly a creation of your own imagination or their own imagination, having rejected the prophetical and poetical books of the Old Testament. Alright? And accepting only the first five books of the Bible. And why Jesus says, we know what we worship for salvation is of, and now literally, it says, from the line of the Jews. Okay, so Jesus is basically saying here, and we'll discuss all of this out in a minute, but Jesus is basically saying, because you don't have all the information, you don't really know what you're worshipping. Do, do you understand? Okay, that's what, he's, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, we understand what we're worshipping because we've got all the information. Okay, now remember, this is the same Jesus that's going to look at the religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders at the time, and say, you're a father of the devil. So, so it's not like he's putting the Jews up and putting the Samaritans down. Do you understand? They knew all the stuff and then they were said, see, it's a worst sin when you know and you do the wrong thing. Right. You know, it's one thing if you don't know. Right. And see, the Samaritans are guilty of not knowing, doing the wrong thing because they don't know what they're doing. Okay, and so in a sense, by Jesus saying you don't know what you're doing, it's kind of a bit of a blessing there to say, okay, you, you know, what you're doing, you're doing ignorance. Yeah. But when Jesus looks at the, the Pharisees and the scribes, He's going to say, you know what the right thing to do is and you're doing the wrong thing. So that's going to be a greater condemnation and a greater judgment is going to come on you because of that and, and other reasons as well. Anyway, alright. To fully understand what's being said here, D.A. Carson writes, Jesus is not saying that the Samaritans hold to a view of God that makes Him utterly unknowable. Still less that they worship what they do not believe. As if he were attacking their sincerity. Okay? He was not. Rather, he is saying that the object of their worship is, in fact, unknown to them. So he's saying you really don't know the God that you're worshipping. You don't have a full knowledge of Him. Are you getting this? Okay. They stand outside the stream of God's revelation, so that what they worship cannot possibly be characterized by truth and knowledge. Alright, because they're standing outside of all the scriptures that are available to them. Okay, for that reason they, they really don't have a proper understanding. By contrast, Jesus says, we Jews worship what we do know. In other words, whatever else was wrong with Jewish worship, at least it could be said that the object of their worship was known to them. Okay, now remember they did a lot of wrong things as well. 
Okay, but at least the, who they were worshipping was correct. The Jews stand within the stream of God's saving revelation. They know the one they worship. They are the vehicle of that revelation. The historical matrix out of which that revelation emerges. Okay, so it's all the, all the information. Okay, and so on and so forth. Alright. Hope this is not too complicated for you. And since the ultimate authority for both Jew and Samaritan lay in their respective Bibles, in this debate at least, Jesus comes down decisively on the side of the Jews. Okay, so because their arguments are coming from what they know, from the information that they are basing their arguments on, Jesus is saying, because you're basing all your arguments on and your knowledge is based on only five books, Okay, as opposed to, is it 39 books of the Old Testament, all right? That they have, they've got a lot more volume to what they have and where they're coming from. That's all he's saying. Okay. Simply put, the Samaritans did not have a full revelation of God and so could not worship in truth. Okay, that's all it is. Whereas the Jews, on the other hand, did have a fuller revelation of God in the Old Testament, though still not complete, because remember, it's still just Old Testament, and therefore had a better understanding of the God they worshipped. Okay. In fact, in his commentary, Leon Morris says that though they worshipped the true God, the Samaritans did so very imperfectly. When we consider that they rejected the writings of the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, so on and so forth, the Psalms, the historical books of the Old Testament, that's Judges and Kings and Chronicles and so on, and much more, we realize that their knowledge of God was of necessity very limited. Alright, and that's why Jesus says that they do not know what they worship. However, regardless of all of this, praise God, in a very short time, everything was about to change. And why Jesus goes on to say in John 4.23, But the hour is coming. And watch then, he says, and now is. Mm. This is very interesting. I want to share something with you about this in just a moment. <clears throat> when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Notice that? Where the true worshippers, he's, he he's not saying that the Jews are true worshippers either. Okay? He's saying regardless of where they come from, the true worshippers are going to be distinguished by this. They will worship God in spirit and in truth. Not in some temple, in some location. In spirit and in truth. Not in some famous organization that has an amazing building. Remember Jesus? They were all, the disciples going, Whoa. and he said, take a look at it boys, it won't be standing there much longer. Okay, <laughs> we're going to see all of this in, in, in the time to come, alright? <laughs> and so he says here again, the hour is coming and now is. It's, it's, it's tremendous what he's saying here. When the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Oh, that, that tells us something. That if, when you get this right... God will be all over the scene. He'll be all over you. He's not standing back and going, Okay, impress me. Okay? He's, do you understand what I'm trying to say? He's, he's not sort of this, you know, this, this passionless observer that's going, oh, I don't know if I want to get involved. Notice it says he is seeking. God is looking. We think we're looking for God. He is looking for us. Hear what I'm saying? So whatever little effort that we make, he'll be there because he's looking for it. 
And if he says, sees any semblance of it, he will turn up. Hallelujah. Anyway, let's, let's look at this because this, this is tremendous and I really don't want to rush through this now. Let me make this comment because it's not in your notes. <clears throat> I, I, needless to say, I receive revelation as I go. Okay, more and more. Notice when he says here, the hour is coming and now is. This is an incredible statement that he makes. All right? We're going to see this emerge later on as well. I never got this. This is, this is like about 24 hours old, this revelation. You, got, you want to hear this one? Okay. All right. They're all waiting right, for the kingdom to come. Okay? Their concept of the kingdom is when this, this kingdom comes, it will overthrow the Roman government, there will be no more sickness or disease, everybody will be just, you know, it will be heaven on earth. Do you get this? Okay? Alright. <laughs> Isaiah writes in his writings, he, he doesn't have this middle timeline. He doesn't have the church age in his writings. Okay? He says for us to, for us, a son is born, uh, excuse me, for us, uh, for unto us, a child is born, for unto us, a son is given. So I have to go off this memory now. Okay? And then it straight away goes and says, and the government will be on his shoulders. Okay? And, and, and of his reign, there will be no end. Something like that. Anyway, okay? That is the birth of Jesus Christ and His second coming, all in one. Okay? Because the government was not on His shoulders. Do you get it? So for unto us, okay, the, the, the child was born and the, and the son was given. But it doesn't tell us in there about, and He was going to go to the cross. So people saw that and they said, okay, when the Messiah comes... This is, this is what threw the Jews. And they couldn't figure it out. Alright? Here is... If He's the Messiah... Okay, we're going to find out as we progress through these, there's going to come a time when they're going to want to forcibly make Him King. And He won't stand for it. Okay? There's going to come a time when... One of the, the, the Roman uh, governors is questioning him. And he asks him the question. And Jesus answers and says, If my kingdom was of this world, this would not be happening to me. Okay, more or less. He says, because, <laughs> trust me, I've got forces and I've got... Uh, I don't know how you would what, what you would call it. I have got things that you have no idea exist. And they will come and they can wipe out your kingdom and everything here like nobody existed. They'll take you out in a second, man. These guys know what they're doing. Remember? One angel, one night, 185,000 people, all gone. <laughs> one guy, one guy. There's a whole legion waiting. Right? He's, they're just waiting to do anything he asks of them. They're just there. He is their captain and commander. He is their creator. They didn't defect. So they're just going, say the word boss and we'll take him all out. 
And we'll make it like nobody existed. See, then there's nobody to complain. You can only argue when you're alive. You can't when you're dead. <laughs> okay, do you know what I'm trying to say? People all have this like, oh, I'm going to tell you, you're dead, you're dead. You won't be able to say anything. You'll be taking a dirt nap. You'll be gone. It's the end of your story. You'll be in hell probably anyway. But you know, <laughs> like you, nobody wants to hear you. Okay, <laughs> forget about it. It's amazing, isn't it? How people think. On one hand, they don't want to acknowledge God. On the other hand, they're going to argue with Him. Which is it? That's right. <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's... I went there and I'm sorry. That's, I was going to say let's not go there but I already went. Okay, so <laughs> we took that trip. I'd like to show you some of these things because you need to know some of the ridiculousness. Of, you know, people are arguing how stupid it is. Amen? Amen, okay. Back to this. Where was I? Okay, so... <clears throat> Let me get to some comments here. In other words, firstly, so in relation to John 4.23, okay, that Jesus says now... That the hour is coming, and now is. The hour is coming, and now is. Now, the revelation I want to bring is this to you. They had this idea that the kingdom was coming, and all of this stuff was going to happen. The kingdom came with Jesus, and they didn't realize it. What they didn't realize was a spiritual kingdom was going to precede a physical kingdom. First the spiritual kingdom, then the physical kingdom. First... This kingdom needed to come. And if you now look at it, look at it this way. Okay? That's what he's saying. Notice the two things he says. He says, the hour is coming and now is. So you think, hang on Jesus, is the hour coming or is it now? You know, is it future or is it present? Which is it? It's both. Alright? He is saying, I'm here. And a time is coming when all of you will be able to do this as well. But I'm beginning this thing. I'm going to start the ball rolling. With me has come the kingdom. And the time will come when this kingdom will be in you. Remember that? Remember we talked about the kingdom in you? Okay. It's not out here. It's going to be inside. Now is and is coming. He is here is the now is. It's going to be in you. Is the here? It's coming because remember, he has. To, he needs to die before the miracle can happen inside of us. Remember that we can't get born again until he dies. Did, did you all get that? Okay, we can't become new creations until that point in time. So now the the, the thing is, and I want to bring this out is, isn't it interesting? Okay, <laughs> that everything that Jesus did. Remember, he healed them all. Okay, the kingdom came. What was the perfect kingdom? Nobody's sick. Everybody had plenty to eat. He brings, somebody brings, he says, what have you got? He says, well, we've got a couple of fishes and loaves. Enough, bring it. This is how the kingdom works. We can feed you with, basically nothing I can feed, multiply and feed everybody. So we have a healthcare system. <laughs> okay? We have everybody being fed. A welfare system. Okay? Huh? It's all there. They're looking at him. This is, this is the confusion they're having. Because this is, this is the problem here. The hour is coming and now is. The hour is coming but, and now is. It's now is, but it's still coming. Yeah. Which is it? Both. Between them is a cross. Amen. He came 
he needed to go to the cross. That's why he said he needed to do this. Peter tried to stop him and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Because he was saying, I need to go, I need to die. Otherwise, none, none of this is going to happen. The kingdom won't come the way it needs to come. Amen? He brought it, but it wasn't still in the earth where everybody could receive from it and be a part of it. Do you hear? Okay. Anyway. Thank you. So, I hope that blesses you. There's so much more to that, but I don't want to take too much time. I've already taken a lot of time, but I hope that blesses you and helps you to see something. You know, that you then begin to see all of what Jesus did and why we need to follow in His footsteps. Because the kingdom that He brought, we need to continue in this earth. So that people are not asking stupid questions like, why did God kill that person? God didn't kill that person. And if we can bring Him back to life, they'll tell Him. And we can show what God's will really is. Amen? And we need to learn how to do that. Now, we're, we're a long way from that. Fair enough. But you need to start somewhere. Amen? And it starts here. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay, let's move on. <coughs> now back to my notes. <laughs> in other words, firstly, as strong, strong as Jesus insists that the Jews were appointed by God to unique privilege and responsibility... As they passed on the oracles of God, he insists no less strongly that their privileged position is in the process of dissolution or termination, as a new age called the church dawns, to which their own scriptures point. Isn't that interesting? Their own scriptures said this is all going to come to an end. But you know, we get comfortable, don't we? Do we have to move? Do we, <laughs> you know? But we're happy here. I finally got settled. <laughs> okay, and that's what happens to religion a lot of times. It gets settled. Yeah. That's right. Hmm? And then it becomes traditionalized. And then you better not say anything to oppose that tradition because it's tradition. I mean, it was good enough for my own ancestors. Well, you know. <laughs> Hello. It's not about upsetting your grandfather. It's about upsetting God the Father. What's right for Him is what's right. Amen? It was great what Granddaddy did, but it ain't for us today. Not right now. Same God. But the heart needs to be right and can't be steeped in any kind of tradition that takes away from that one-on-one relationship. Amen? Okay, moving on. So let me me read this again. So he says here, As strong as Jesus insists that the Jews were appointed by God to unique privilege and responsibility as they passed on the oracles of God, that's in Romans Romans 3.2, he insists no less strongly that their privileged position is in the process of disillusion. Okay? Now, as a result... Those who truly believe on the Lord Jesus will shortly be able to, by faith, enter the presence of God and praise and worship Him in His heavenly sanctuary, regardless of where they may be physically, whether on a mountaintop, in a prison, in a home, or even in a church of thousands of miles from Jerusalem. Okay, soapbox time. This is a soapbox. I'm just telling you. I have issue when people say, Oh, you know, you have to go to Jerusalem, into the Holy Land. 
the Holy Land murdered the Messiah. <laughs> it's not that holy. <laughs> okay? Listen, man, it's a piece of dirt. Do we not understand what Jesus is saying here? People are just so thrilled. And don't get me wrong, for the sake of historicity, you know, history, of course go. Praise God. I mean, you know, there is a sense of, wow, this is where Jesus walked and whatever. But it's probably not the same. <laughs> Thank God. Because it was dirty and horrible back then. They said that, you know, this foot-washing foot, foot thing that we want to do that, you know, so religiously. It was a horrible thing. It was like, oh, you, where did you step? <laughs> what is it? What is it? Whoa. Okay. And <laughs> that, that wasn't religious. <laughs> yeah. Man, that, that was. Wow. Okay, today we take our socks and shoes off. It's a clean foot we give somebody to wash. Why do you need to wash the thing? <laughs> See, again, traditions. Do you understand? We so need to be careful about these things. <laughs> oh, okay, let's get back to this. All right. It doesn't matter where we are. That's the reason why we can have church here today. We can have Bible college here today. And God turns up. He doesn't say, go to Jerusalem. That's where I am. Mm? Forget about it. Are you kidding? Isn't it funny? God, who is omnipresent... And we didn't get it. <laughs> okay? He can be anywhere all the time. Absolutely. How could Jonah go and minister to the people in Nineveh if God wasn't everywhere? And have them all saved? Because it wasn't Jerusalem, you know. Right. Hello? And he was whining about that too. Anyway. <laughs> I understand where he was coming from, but wow. Alright, as William MacDonald explains... The Jewish people had reduced worship to outward forms and ceremonies. They thought that by religiously adhering to the letter of the law and going through certain rituals, sound familiar? They were worshipping the Father. See, you can get it mixed up. But, there, but theirs was not a worship of the Spirit. It was outward, not inward. Their bodies might be bowed down on the ground, but their hearts were not right before God. The Samaritans, on the other hand, had a form of worship, but it had no scriptural authority. See, again, okay, both of them having problems here. They had started their own religion and were carrying out ordinances of their own invention. Thus, when the Lord said that worship must be in spirit and truth, He was rebuking both Jews and Samaritans. But he was also informing them that now that he had come, it was possible for men to draw near to God through him in true and sincere worship. Hallelujah. It's because of him. Amen. Accordingly, D.A. Carson says that true worshipers cannot be identified by their attachment to a particular shrine but their worship of the Father in spirit and truth. That's how you know. Not where you go, not what church you belong to. Amen? And not, not how holy the ground is. <laughs> okay? None of those things. See, again, it's outward. Are you getting this? Are you beginning to understand the power in this? That you can be anywhere 
You don't have to be in a place where there is a picture of God and there's a little cross. and You don't have to be any of those places. You could be in a place where Satan thinks he has dominion. And you, the light of the world, walks in there and causes all sorts of problems. Because wherever you go, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> wherever you go, the shrine of God goes with you. We should not be afraid. They should be always trembling when we come. Amen. You know, like when Samuel, you know, he comes to town. They said, are you here? Peaceably? <laughs> okay. I just love that man. And he goes, yeah, yeah, settle down, I'm here peaceably. Praise God. That tells you something. Amen. The power was there. You walk in and everything demonic walks out. In fact, it, 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 it runs screaming. And it should be that way. And we need to get back to that place. That's my job, to get you there. Amen? But, we, but I need your agreement. Hallelujah. And I do have it. Praise God. That's why I know we'll get there. Praise God. Amen. 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 Okay. To this, John MacArthur also says, we'll have to actually finish here, says that true worshippers are all those everywhere who worship God through the Son from the heart. Can I say that again? True worshippers are all those everywhere who worship God through the Son from the heart. Now that's important. Okay? You can't do this apart from Jesus Christ. He is our very center. Amen? And that's the key to true worship. Your heart and your spirit. And while Leon Morris in his commentary says that it is the human spirit that is in mind. One must worship, not simply outwardly, by being in the right place and taking up the right attitude, but in one's spirit. The combination, spirit and truth, points to the need for complete sincerity and complete reality in our approach to God. Hallelujah. I, I wanted to keep going till I finished, um, just before John 2.24, but... I have run out of time. Can I do this? Can I just read through this? Yep. And we'll come back and pick it up. And I will discuss this further. It's just that we're on a thought right now and I don't want to really stop here. R. Kent Hughes says that authentic worship happens only when the very core of our being is employed in worshipping God. Did you get that? The very core of our being is employed in worshipping God. Which of course must include a revelation of who God is. And why he goes on to conclude by saying that outward performance may or may not be worship. As Spurgeon said, God does not regard our voices, He hears our hearts. And if our hearts do not sing, we have not sung at all. Did you get that? Sometimes we sing but do not worship. Sometimes we give, but we do not worship. C.S. Lewis was right when he said, listen to this, that the perfect church service would be the one we were almost unaware of. For our attention would have been on God. Amen. Amen? And that's who Jesus is pointing to when he says that the Father is seeking such to worship Him.
In short, the central reality in worship is not that we are seeking God, here it is, but that He is seeking us. He who says that this is a totally Christian idea. The Jew never thought of God this way. After all, as Leon Morris points out, He is a God of love, a God who seeks the best for people, and therefore a God who actively seeks them out. We will stop there. And we'll pick this up next time.